Pivot with Purpose, a podcast that highlights the unique stories of professionals that pivoted their careers to align with their work lives and personal lives more purposefully and with more joy. Pivot with Purpose is hosted by Megan Hull, a globally accredited career and business coach and creator of the Megan Hull Method. Welcome back to the Pivot with Purpose podcast. I'm your host, Megan Hool, and in this episode, we talk to Ashley Merrill, CEO, founder of the luxury sleep and loungewear brands, Lunya for Women and Lago for Men, and co-founder of The Deep. Thank you for listening to Pivot with Purpose with host Megan Hool. You can find out more information about each guest, including full transcripts at pivotwithpurposepodcast.com. And if you'd like to share your own Pivot with Purpose, click on the share button and add your story to the conversation. Finally, be sure to subscribe and share your comments wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Your support amplifies our voice. And now, this week's episode. As founder of Lunia and Lago, Ashley Merrill is reinventing sleepwear for modern women and men, respectfully. Both brands share a simple mission to make people feel confidently comfortable inside. Ashley is also co-founder of The Deep, a media platform that makes philosophy and personal exploration accessible through thought-provoking questions and content, and the chairwoman of Outdoor Voices. Both personally and professionally, she is an active supporter of organizations like SOLA, Upstream, and United Medical Corps. She is a Southern California native and resides there with her husband and their two young children. Ashley Merrill, welcome to the Pivot with Purpose podcast. I am so excited to have you on. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. No, thank you. And then also thank you (laughs) for bringing (laughs) Lunia uh, to life. As I will have to tell you, beyond all the amazing sleepwear, there was no way I was sleeping through the night without my silk sleepwear mask. Oh, I'm so glad. I love them all. I have four of them. Everybody out there. (laughs) Well, I need all the colors. For you? (laughs) (laughs) It's called like get some rest. Um, (laughs) Yes. But whatever it takes to get us through the night, you know, it's what it's all about. I feel you. I feel you. I can't wait to dive into all of our exciting topics we have here. But to start off the podcast, I'd love to ease into the conversation and learn something fun about our guests. So tell me, what are you loving to do beyond work these days? My goodness. I mean, it's been a weird world for the past year. So maybe some of the things that I, I love to do historically are a little off the table for me. I love to work out. I've been doing that remote and that's been great. And I have been using Sydney Cummings on YouTube. So it's like free, easy to work out anytime I need to. So I've been loving that. So I'm doing uh, woodworking with my dad and that's awesome because he is so handy and it's the thing that I get to do with him, you know, just having like a shared memory and yeah, hopefully I'll make some really cool things. We'll see. All right. We'll keep us posted. We'll be on the lookout for your Instagram for all your, uh, exactly, exactly. <laughs> your woodworking. Yes. Um, <laughs> that's so amazing. Well, leading into talking about your businesses and your passion projects, obviously at the heart of this podcast is really talking about our pivots and careers. Give us a few of your proudest career highlights to start off. 
Sure. I have some moments that feel really positive, like Beyonce wore our silk set for her New Year's Eve last year. That feels really awesome because, you know, mm -hmm. hello, it's Beyonce. Mm -hmm. And that was really, I think, a, a big win. And then there's been business moments. You know, we got profitable in 2021 for the first time, and I think that felt really good. But I mean, some of the really big moments are not those kind of obvious moments and that they're the more everyday moments where mm -hmm. just watching the team start to connect and leaders start to step up and, and own their departments and actually watching Lunia gain momentum outside of me has been mm -hmm. really cool, you know, where yeah. early on a company's very small and everything's very driven by maybe the founder at an early stage. And I think that that's been a real maturing process of watching when you start to have these different leaders within it that have their own um, kind of vision that meets into my vision and, and executing their own plans and all that. And that's been really cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I always say like putting your stamp on the business as yeah. well, beyond all that you're doing. That's so great to hear. So tell me as we talk a little bit more about Lunia and Lago and kind of jump into all of the things, where did your career start off and, and what led to this pivot of becoming this female entrepreneurial powerhouse you are. You certainly are. So please take that 100%. <laughs> well, thank you. Yeah. So I started my career actually, I mean, I went to undergrad. I was an art history major. I thought I was going to be a lawyer. And then I started meeting with lawyers and learning what the job was and realizing, oh, I don't know, that's a perfect match for my personality. And that left me coming out of college being pretty unsure because here I had had this plan the whole way along of what I was going to do. And then I went to culinary school because I thought maybe it'd be really neat to be in catering. I figured at worst it would be this really great um, experience that would teach me a life skill. And it was more the latter for me. And then I went to a small venture capital company and it was a funny story and I, I like to say it sometimes because while I was in school, I applied for this role that they had and I'm not a perfect candidate. I wasn't an econ major and you know, all this kind of stuff, taking sort of a different path. I worked for free for them after school for three months and said, don't worry about paying me. And this was before, so you were allowed to do that. And if at the end of three months, I'm adding value, keep me. And if not, then don't, and that's fine. And so that was kind of how I got started in venture and, and they kept me and I really enjoyed that. And then I somehow felt like I was on the wrong side of the table at venture. It was really great experience, but I kept thinking, you know, who am I to judge whether these businesses are good or not? I don't know anything yet, you know? And so I went and worked at an online media company because this was around when a lot of these websites were really blowing up. And I could bring my sort of M&A experience into this new forum. And we were buying and selling websites and building web portals. And I got to learn a lot at this company. I was there for maybe four and a half years and started in business development and, and then ended up running an actual web portal called Momtastic, which I got to create with a team and limited resources and got the opportunity to be an intrapreneur. So we identified the problem and kind of built a plan to go after it. And it was a very cool experience. And so one of those things that I felt gave me a real chance to practice being an entrepreneur, but have training wheels on while doing it. And so mm -hmm. something I advise a lot of people to do It was one of those stretch projects, as they say, where I kind of started out being like, well, if we can't afford to buy something, 
maybe I could build something and really, really great experience. And then after that, I wanted to be at a startup. I wanted to be somewhere I was really passionate. So I had applied for business school and I got in and I decided to leave that company while I was at school because I figured I would probably either join somebody's startup at that point or start my own thing. And I was really excited. There was a lot of engineers and folks that were at that school. So I was like, okay, cool. I can maybe partner with somebody who knows how to build things. And I have this sort of marketing background and and we can make that work. And and then somewhere in that, I had had this uh, moment in the mirror, which I kind of call it now, but where I was looking at myself wearing my husband's old sleepwear and was thinking, oh, you know, I probably should step this up a little bit, you know, just like it was, it wasn't so great. I feel you there. You know, and I realized like this wasn't a problem that just was my problem. Like a lot of people I was talking to were wearing all their old clothes around the house and there's nothing fundamentally wrong with wearing old clothes. It's just that when you spend a lot of time there, it starts to actually make you feel not good about yourself, you know, and then it's also not necessarily well designed for sleeping. So it kind of sent me on this journey of going, well, could I wear something better? And I wasn't thinking I was going to build the company. I figured I would just buy something. And so I went around looking and everything was very sexy lingerie or very traditional pajama set, but wasn't very comfortable or practical. And it left me going, wow, there's just nobody doing this. And maybe there's an Mm -hmm. opportunity here. And then I did what most people do is I talked myself out of it for like a while, you know, and yeah. I kept thinking, why would I do that? I've never made clothes before. What do I know about this industry? I could find a lot of reasons why I wasn't the right person. What I couldn't find, though, was a reason why it was a bad idea. I mostly found reasons why I wasn't the right person for it. And so what happened was I went into school. I kind of set that idea aside. I started school. I started school in September And around this time, my husband and I had decided we were going to start our family. And I got pregnant end of September. And as soon as I got pregnant, I realized this is a good idea and I'm not doing it because I'm afraid. But it'd be way worse to tell my kids that I didn't do something because I was afraid than it would be to do it and fail. And so it just kind of changed the whole equation for me. And then I decided to jump and I did it. So starting in October is when I really started working on Lunia. I love it. So is that where the idea came from that led to your desire? Was it like, okay, I need to, I need to step up my game (laughs) for my sleep and loungewear brand. Um, So you have Lunia for women and Lago for men. Yep. And did you see this sort of white space, like you said, where it was just a lot more sleepwear that was a little sexy and kind of like occasion driven and to have something that is purposeful and that you can really wear out as well, right? Is that where the idea came from or any other thoughts or inspiration? Yeah, I guess I felt like why would there be this distinction between how I would show up in my like arguably my most important time of the day. You know, it's the time I spend with all the people that I love the most. Mm -hmm. Why would I have this distinction on, oh, well, that's the time to show up like I don't care, you know? And then Mm -hmm. when I go dress for other people, people I know less well, then I'm going to pull it together. You know, when you really look at it, it's kind of funny where we place our emphasis. Mm -hmm. And I thought that's such a a reversal, a prioritization reversal. It got me really going deep on that. Like, why am I willing to spend, you know, $250 on a cocktail dress that I'm going to wear once or twice, and yet I won't get myself some 
really comfortable, nicely made sleepwear that I can wear every single day. It's the cost per wear argument here. And then also I'm gonna feel like my best self. Everybody knows there's a reason why you wear a uniform for certain activities. It, it puts you in a state of mind. I think like people put on a jersey when they're gonna go play on a soccer team because they're sort of setting aside the individual and they're buying into themselves as part of the team. The clothes you wear can set the tone for how you show up. And I feel like showing up with your old clothes that have like holes and hand-me-downs, right. uh, it's just really <laughs> not putting in the right headspace. And so that really got me going. Yeah, that's exciting. Oh, I'm so guilty of having those pants with the holes. My husband's like, mm, do you want to throw them out? But I totally. feel like you get so attached to these like old school, you know, pink from Victoria's Secret. Oh my God. Yes. I'm like, clean out my lounger drawer, like throw them out. What if there's a fire, Megan? <laughs> it's like a coming of age thing, getting rid of that. You're like, yes, I am You're no like, longer bye -bye. this person. Yeah, yeah, like I'm just like, I'm better than this. Oftentimes after I talk to people about, you know, what got me started, they end up sending me texts afterwards being like, I just went through my whole drawer. I think for people, they just forget about it. I don't think they're consciously doing it. It's just sort of like, who cares? Or they're saying, hey, I want to be comfortable. I'm like, but what if you could be comfortable and feel like your best self? And that's really yeah. the win. And then, by the way, it started in this place. And then I proceeded to have two kids after that. And it only became more true. I started being on these women's forums and realizing that sometimes there's such a connection, especially when people have kids, to often you're spending a lot of time at home when you have a new mm -hmm. child and like kind of bumming around the house, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And it does a, a number on your confidence. You know, maybe your body's not quite in the spot that it was before and you're not sleeping very well at all. And the thing that would make me the most crazy is when some ill-fitting pajama would wake me up because I wasn't getting a lot of sleep. And so then when I would wake up for a, a ridiculous reason, like, oh, my spaghetti strap just falled off and I got all twisted up in it. I was like, ah, right. you know, just the, like, ah. The joggers are cutting off your ankle circulation and yes. your calf. That happens oh. to me. That big, makes big me calf problems. crazy, <laughs> crazy. So it's like, to me, I was like, there's just no excuse for that. You know, I will not take that chance. So anyway, it's kind of started in one place. And then I realized how much bigger it is. It's connected to sort of a lot about how we see ourselves and, and how we spend our time that we're not being like, productive, and I'm sort of air quoting right now, we work really hard. What are we doing it for? We're doing it for these moments. And then we're showing up with the shirts with the holes in it and all this kind of stuff. So it's kind of like interesting when you start to really analyze that, I think you realize, wow, this is probably of all the places that I should be really caring, this is the one. I love you have something for everybody from the trousers to the sets to the jumpsuits, which I'm obsessed with. I'm totally a jumpsuit set girl. And I feel like your product, it's so easy to take care of Good. as well which is really, really nice. It was definitely part of the you know, philosophy. And like, I'm not trying to add a to-do. Many of us can relate to the feeling of just having tons of to-dos, you know? And yeah. I, I kept thinking, I love silk. It's a thermoregulating fabric. It's a fabulous fabric, but silk that you're dry cleaning for sleep, eh. Not really. Right. Yeah, like, <laughs> you know, it reminds me of, I don't know if you watched The Office, but I love The Office and yes. Michael Scott, where he would dry clean his jeans. <laughs> oh, gosh. Ex exactly. But then he put them on and he was like a new Michael Scott. So it's like you get your Lunia and Lago for men. You put on the sleepwear. You feel amazing. You can wash it. I mean, exactly. it's a win-win. That's the idea. And I think it's cool. You were saying there's something for everyone. It yeah. took us a while. When we launched initially, I had 10 pieces. And then over time, and this is the beauty of, you know, as the company matures and you get really great feedback from customers, 
we learned a lot about what people want from us and realized, oh, wow, there's like desire for intimates because a lot of people want to sleep in intimates. And what they want out of their intimates for lounging and sleeping is different than what they want out of their intimates for the day. A lot of our product offering is an evolved product offering that's really come from a lot of feedback and iteration. Well, in the spirit of this podcast, I love to have a little teaser and then we go to a quick break. So I'm going to give you a yes or no question and then we'll take a little break and come back. So yes or no, do you remember the exact moment when you decided you wanted to build your own business? Yes. And with that, we will be going to a break and pick us up when we get back. So Ashley, before the break, you said yes. What advice would you give someone who may be looking to build their own business or bring an idea to life and not know where to start? I would say reach out to people. Be vulnerable about your dreams. And it's amazing how much people will kind of lean in and help. I mean, for me, a lot of it was once I convinced myself that I had something here, that I had a good Mm -hmm. idea, it gave me the sort of fire and motivation to share that with other people. And I would reach out to people and say, I have this vision for creating a sleepwear company that is really making end-to-end the very best product for somebody. And that means I want functional fabrics and really, really great construction, all these things. And do you know anyone in the industry? Mm. And it was amazing how helpful Mm. people were. And sometimes the person they'd connect with maybe wasn't the perfect person, but often that person might connect me from there to someone else. And so I think just vocalizing it, putting it out there and be really a sponge. I love that. Wow. I mean, that is the heart of the podcast. We talk so much in um, previous episodes really about what is on your mind, what is in your heart, leveraging your network, asking people for conversations, being fearless, not being afraid because you never know where they can lead. And genuinely people want to help out right? um, if they can. So thank you for sharing that. And tell us a little bit more, because as another passion project that you have that I was kind of diving into and researching before jumping on the podcast with you, let's talk about The Deep and your thoughts behind building this conversation community and really how it's changing the way people are communicating with each other. So what is The Deep all about? Yeah, so I think been very concerned about the direction that I'm seeing society go. Mm. Uh, I think that we've become so polarized and in a bubble in so many ways that it's really changed the dynamics in which we converse. We unfollow people who see the world differently than us. A lot of topics are off limits in, yeah. in social circles and in a way they didn't used to be. We used to be okay with discussing things and just having different points of view and that didn't feel like such a personal attack. And I think that one of the things that's concerned me, and particularly through the last couple of elections and, and, and whatnot, is just the vitriol that I see mm. kind of being spilled on both sides. To be honest, I don't think anybody's innocent here. And I'm going to give you an example. And this is really one of the reasons that I started The Deep, is I had a conversation with a friend of mine. We were talking about abortion. And abortion is a conversation that everybody has an opinion on. They know where they stand on abortion. And it can be one of those things that also really alienate people if you see it differently. And I was chatting with him about it. I live in a a pretty blue state. So I just assumed that that he was pro-choice because I'm surrounded by a lot of people. And what he did was ask me a question. He said, well, when does life begin? And I Mm. thought, 
Well, that's a really interesting question. And it gets us away from the abortion topic. And I thought, I may not change my opinion and he may not change his opinion, but we had a really deep, really interesting conversation about when life begins. And I thought, how cool. I just spent 25 minutes chatting with somebody who has a different point of view than me. And maybe I didn't change my opinion because maybe it came to the same conclusion, but my outlook is different. And I don't think he's a jerk for seeing it differently. I understand his point of view. And mm -hmm. again, I can disagree with him or see it differently and then not villainize him. And I thought, wow, this is such an unlock. And I realized that about a lot of topics, a lot of things are more gray than you initially think, you know, because a lot of the media, they're paid for clicks right now. So they're building these sensationalist headlines, which enrage people or um, spur right. agreement with people. And it's actually like stirring the pot of yeah. anger. And so I yeah. thought we got to teach people. And I look at my kids too, by the way, and I'm like, I want my kids to be able to talk with all kinds of people. And we talk about celebrating diversity. And I'm like, diversity is about showing up with an open mind, is about not villainizing someone without like hearing them out. You know, and there's a mm -hmm. lot of things here that I think in some ways we, we say the words, but are we really practicing it? Deep came about because I just realized the power of questions and mm -hmm. in sparking curiosity and building bridges. I realized that a lot of people were sort of thirsty for this mm -hmm. opportunity. And my co-founder is an incredible human and has done a great job kind of really bringing it to life. And now there's, you know, a lot of people that are sort of involved in it. And it's amazing to see how passionate I think people are about it because I, I do feel a lot of people feel very silenced or they, they're in a bubble and they're right. looking for ways. And so that's really what the foundation of the deep is. And it, it shows up on Instagram so people can check it out if you want to see how it works. Mm -hmm. And it also is a card game. So you can yeah. get it and, and uh, do it at home with friends and family. I saw that. Yeah, we'll definitely link it in all of our show notes so everyone can check it out. And it's so true, right? With 2020 isolating us all. And maybe you've yes. only been staring at your husband and kids for yes. the past year and a half where it's so easy these days to hide behind a phone and yes. the internet and like blast people. It just gives you this anxiety in your heart and soul. And some people just holding their voices back because they don't want to get into it. Right. And you're right. Like going around family members, you're like, I can't talk about that. I can't talk about that. You know, how about having a productive conversation? Yes. I love that. Well, in the spirit of asking you questions, asking people <laughs> questions, we're going to jump into a topic where I know you and I, when we first connected, are just so excited to talk about hiring and interviewing. I yes. mean, as a CEO, I can imagine you've hired many people in your tenured career. For so sure. for listeners looking for career pivots, we want to hear your firsthand advice of how to handle interviews, job transitions, all the things. So to start off, what would you tell someone they need to prepare for to make a lasting positive impression during the interview process? Sure. Well, I think, you know, one of the things I like to think about is you're actually preparing for your next job in whatever your current job is. Mm. And so what I mean by that is from the very first job you have, you're building a reputation in a market, you're building peers and potential advocates for you. And I think ask yourself, what they would say about you. Because you have to assume if you're in a small industry that there's a very high probability that through a friend of a friend, you know, or something, they might actually end up becoming the advocates for you. And so 
One of the things I think about is the job you're in today is absolutely the stepping stone to the next one. And sometimes when we get really sick of our job or tired of our boss or whatever, insert emotion there, Mm -hmm. it's easy to kind of start to check out and get irritated and not be our best selves. I would remind everybody that how you show up, particularly at the end, ends up being very career defining for you. So I would say, try to show up as your best self, be the kind of person that other people really will advocate for, and then leave gracefully. Make sure that you've set them up with documentation of all the things you do. I would say, wow people with your exit. And that sounds funny, but it's amazing how many people are incredible their whole tenure and then they're on their way out and they're checked out. And if you're gonna have two to four weeks of exit, it's worth it to really be incredible. So that would be my first, my first advice is really leave on a good note. And then I would say the next one is when you're applying to another job, make sure you really research the company. Some people like to spray out a thousand applications. I am not a fan of that. If you send me an application that doesn't have a cover letter and beyond that, it feels like a a templated cover letter, I probably won't even read your resume. If you're not going to take the time to really understand the company and the position, then I'm not going to take the time to read your resume. Value the time of the people that you're going to, and also think of it from a marketing standpoint. This is your chance to market to them. Really understand what the position is and help connect the dots for whoever is going to be reading this application for why you are a good fit for the job, especially if you have previous experience that's not a perfect tee up. So really thinking about what is it about me or the skills in my last one that might not even be immediately obvious that I think are gonna really make me great at this job. So I, I do think there's a lot of opportunity there in how you paint that picture. In many cases, you may even find yourself rewriting your resume mm-hmm. to make your experience feel more relevant. So I'd say all of those things are, are really helpful to getting you in the mix. And then once you kind of get your foot in the door, I think showing up, really understanding the position, bringing a positive attitude. I think another thing that matters a lot that doesn't get talked about that much is we're thinking a lot about team dynamics. So are you going to be a force for good or a force for for negativity on the team? You know, (laughs) like, and sometimes it's hard because it's almost like dating where you might come out of your last relationship and you're kind of bitter you know what I mean? Yeah. Don't bring that. Yeah. If, if you can't show up positive, don't even, you're not ready mm-hmm. to interview yet. No. Don't date until you can have a good state of mind and be open and optimistic again. But I'm always very sensitive to people that feel like they're showing up with negativity. And conversely, people that feel like they're bringing it and they're going to be such a great uh, beacon of positivity and optimism. And those are people that I get really excited about. So I think the attitude mm-hmm. is really important, especially if you're junior, actually, because In that case, you may not have all the skill sets that you need and you're kind of coming to learn. And so I'm looking at you as what kind of a blank canvas am I getting? Am I getting a blank canvas of someone who's can do and positive or am I getting someone who's already a little embittered and kind of grumpy and is going to view problems as a problem instead of as an opportunity to improve? Those are some of the hopefully less obvious tidbits, but those would be key ones for me. And it's all those work cultures and I say this all the time interviewing candidates and like getting people through offers and yes and everything is please do not let the sins of your past like ruin your future opportunities totally (laughs) and if you're in a leadership totally if you're in a leadership position talk about your team I mean this should feel obvious to you but if you're a leader and you're coming in you're saying I did this I did that I did then I'm going that's not a leader that's not someone that people are going to be excited to work for 
that's going to be someone who's taking credit and who's self-oriented. And I think that's another one, especially for people in leadership roles. All really good points. And do you think it is the responsibility of brands to sell themselves when interviewing candidates? And then on the other side, how important is it for a candidate to sell themselves? And which one do you think needs to come first? Or do you feel like it's a balance on both sides? Yeah, I think it's a balance in the end. Mm -hmm. But I would say that Theoretically, if I'm creating an aspirational enough brand in whatever my brand positioning target is, that will be attractive enough that I'm hopefully getting people that are excited and feel the desire to sell themselves to me because they feel excited about what we've created. So generally, people that I find do well in interviews are people that are familiar with the brand and they're excited and they clearly want to be at the company. So I'd say that's a helpful starting place. But if they're awesome, and especially the more experienced they are, I think the more it puts me in a role of, of pitching as a leader. One of the things that's tricky, though, is you want to pitch and you want to sell, but you want to be honest. You don't want to create an overly glamorous picture because at the end of the day, if everything was perfect, I wouldn't be hiring this person. I'm hiring somebody to come in to, to help, to improve yeah. things, yeah, to, to make yeah. things better. So I think it's important to be optimistic in the sense of here's the vision, here's why it's exciting, but then honest about like, here are the gaps we have and here's, you know, the things I'm really looking for from you. And so I've had examples in the past where maybe people, if they're believing that it's too rosy, they come in and they're like, oh, there's all these problems to fix. Yeah. So I think early (laughs) on I was like, yep, don't oversell. I want to be honest. I want you to be, you know, know what you're Mm -hmm. signing up Mm -hmm. for. And I'm not saying I'm not going to give you the pitch. Like for sure I'm giving you the pitch. I want you to believe. I want you to be excited about where we're headed. Also just eyes wide open, you know? Well, and not to get down a rabbit hole too far, but I have to talk about this. I'm not sure if you're experiencing it, but there's some serious ghosting culture going on (laughs) out there. (laughs) Not like from a dating point of view, because this is a career podcast, people, but in general, like let's not ghost anybody. But really experiencing this on the hiring side, where scenario-wise, you have a candidate that was interested, that you've been speaking with, that falls out of touch and just completely disappears from the process. And then also on the brand side, you know, it's happening for candidates as well, where the candidate interviews, some of them do presentations, and then they never get any feedback or hear of next steps. And I would love to hear how, you know, you make sure your teams follow up after an interview to give some closure. And why do you think that ghosting culture is happening more so than ever? Are people too busy? Are there too many options? No accountability? Like, what are your thoughts? So... I think it's an interesting thing that you highlight here. I haven't had a ton of it on the interviewing side. I've had some of it, but not a ton. And I think it's one of those things where whenever it happens, we kind of know what that is. If someone's not being responsive via email, we know they're either entertaining other offers or somehow we're moving down the list in some way. So if that happens, we read it instantly as something's off here. On the company side, I will tell you, I don't usually follow up with people. If I just have an entry call, I don't Mm -hmm. usually do a follow-up to let them Mm -hmm. know when the position was filled or any of that. Mm -hmm. So usually the process for me looks like an intro call. Could be like a 15 or 30-minute call. It's a very short, let me just see if you're even remotely the right person for this. And then if that goes well, there's a follow-on call, which would be maybe at more rounds and you would meet with potentially a broader set of the team 
And generally, if someone's been far down the interview process, they've met with a lot of people, I'll let them know, hey, right. we ended up filling it with somebody else. But if yeah. I just had an intro call with them, I don't usually. And the reason I don't is if I'm just like really being honest here, I have a small company and I right. don't have like a dedicated HR person. We're hiring so much that it's just hard to keep track of all of those things. In some cases, they haven't been deep in the interview process. I generally don't. And if they are interested, oftentimes people will follow back up and say, hey, what happened? And we'll let them know, of course. But uh, I would say that's fairly normal, especially a small company. And I think going back to what you've talked about before of just candidates really being able to articulate why they're reaching out, why they want to do that, before you really start the interview process, make sure you're motivated by the right reasons. Yes. I, I think it really helps. There's a lot of PTSD that comes with switching jobs right now. Still, yes. you know, people are scared and uncertain and, you know, they get deep into the process and they're like, okay, well, this is happening. And then they get scared and right. back out. It's like, get really clear on why you're starting this. It's a serious thing. And I'm sure if you get excited about hiring somebody and then they fall off the face of the earth, it's a lot of time spent and yes. wasted. So Let's everybody get real clear on our why and just yes. make sure you're in a good spot as you start to interview. And wrapping up here, on top of being a powerhouse female entrepreneur, you are a mom, as you were saying. And there's a lot of moms out there. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of moms out there looking for job pivots. Yes. Maybe new moms, existing moms that are feeling, Ashley, that because they have kids, maybe they are less marketable to a company. I yeah. know there's a big conversation out there with all the women who have left the workplace in 2020. So What advice would you give to a mom looking to pivot and feeling like they're not getting noticed or there's a stigma behind that coming from some expert advice (laughs) with two young kids of your own? Yeah, I see that. I see that challenge. I've been watching Younger. Have any of you watched Younger? Oh, I need to get into that, but I hear it's really good. It's so good. It's about that, right? It's this 40-year-old woman who is getting back into the workplace after 15 years of hiatus raising children. And it does highlight that. It's funny, we talk about gender equality and we focus so much on the employers you know they should hire more women or insert anything here but i would say specifically around this gender thing i think kids are the big they're the big divide when i talk to my closest friends about it a lot of the conversation i have is when it comes time for them kicking around staying home and staying with kids i usually say maybe you can consult try to keep a foot in and even if the money's not great but just so that your resume is warm. And honestly, it's not just about your resume, your skills. If you think about if you had a career in marketing and then you step out for five years, well, you know, think of all the things, TikTok happened and right, Instagram happened and the world yeah. changes. And so I don't have an answer here. I really just see the problem. And I think coming out of COVID, you had a lot of women that had to step out to take care of kids. And I think this is going to be a bigger problem than ever before. But you've got to think about this very early on. And I remember having these conversations with my husband about I'm going to work the whole time. We have kids. So that was an early on conversation. So I need you to be an equal parent with me. Mm -hmm. Is that something you're on board with? I mean, I remember us having those conversations before we got married. And he said, yes. And we've been working that out, you know, trying to make this all work. And I have a nanny. There was no way when my kids were young that I could make that work. It makes me have an unfair advantage in that I can afford this nanny and I can make that work. And I know not a lot of people are in that situation. And I don't have a great answer to it. I think it's actually one of the things if we want to solve the equality gap, it's not just a pay gap. It sort of really connects to this this childbearing thing. There's a great documentary um, 
on Netflix about the wage gap. And it really, women mm. and men make about the same until they have mm -hmm. kids. And then yeah. there's a massive change. And a lot of that is because there's this whole new workload that is being absorbed by the women. And I share the childhood duties with my husband, but the house, I run the household. And so that puts a lot of extra work on me. So I empathize with it, but I don't have a solution for it. But I think if a career matters to you, I highly suggest finding ways to keep a mm -hmm. toe in the water as best yeah. as possible. And then if you're looking to pivot or to change, I think you're going to have to be really willing to kind of start over. You know, sometimes I'll meet people and it's like they're used to making whatever it is, X, Y, and, y, and Z, yeah. and yeah. then yeah. they want to shift careers and they're not prepared for what that number looks like. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? And it's different because I can't pay you based on the skill sets that you've spent your career getting because now you're wanting to shift and you don't have those skill sets. So yeah. I think it's just tough. I don't yeah. have an answer for that at all. I do value older employees because yeah. they bring, I mean, and parents in particular, I don't know, there's there's a lot of similarities between managing people and managing children. You know, the kids, like, the CEOs at home. 100%. <laughs> like they put you in your place, right? <laughs> like I find their, them to be a little more realistic. They're mm -hmm. not coming in like, where's my summer break? They're mature adults emotionally too. And I think they're good at working with other people and being clear and organized. And so there's a lot of things that I think being a parent does help build your skill sets in, but it is just, that's yeah. a tough one. I don't have it's the answer. Tough. Well, you definitely highlighted some key things, which is keep your foot in the door if you can. Yeah. I think now with a lot of jobs being flexible, work from home, I mean, it's not everybody's cup of tea, but right. I think it would give some flexibility, trying to learn new skills, maybe bringing a passion project totally. to life. And even leveraging that network, like yes. keep up the conversations and contact with people that maybe can help you absolutely, um, and support you with all those things. So really great points there. And I appreciate you sharing. In closing, any fun things in store for you and your various projects in the future? I know <laughs> Lunia, Lago, I mean, you guys have an amazing collection, which before we started this podcast, I was yelling at Ashley because my favorite thing was sold out. <laughs> <laughs> you have to buy quickly. So, I would like to talk to the manager, please. <laughs> you got it. All of our yeah. capsules, when they come out, we we buy small so out. that they sell out yeah. and, and they do. I always get those texts from my friend, wait, yeah. I missed the window. So yeah, we've got our Linen Silk Resort collection will launch in the near future. We've got a mm -hmm. bunch of cool things coming out for summer. <gasps> We're going to maybe get into some flannel, which we've oh, never I done mean. for holiday. Lots of really new fabric collections and cool stuff coming in that regard. I and, love it. Yeah, yeah. So definitely follow along and check us out. Yeah. And with that note, how can listeners find you and engage with you? So I'm on Instagram at Ashley with a double underscore Merrill, M-E-R-R-I-L-L. -L. And if you want to follow on Lunia, uh, L-U-N-Y-A on Instagram or online, Lunia.co. Logo is L-A-H-G-O on Instagram and Logo.co online. And the deep.life is the email and it's the Instagram handle Highly recommend checking out the Instagram there and getting in the questions. It'll probably blow your mind because we usually go into some pretty fun rabbit holes. And I'd say that's the best way to follow along. Perfect. And we will link everything. And Ashley, you know, thank you so much for sharing your pivot story, you know, along with some of your valuable career and business building and interview insight. And we really look forward to keeping an eye on all you're doing. And please, everyone, check out Lunia Lago for the best sleepwear, loungewear offering, looking good, feeling good from home. And as we're getting out and living our lives again. Amen. Seriously, <laughs> so, seriously. Thanks so much for being here. Thank Stay you for having for me. Stay tuned for more stories coming. Yes.
can't wait to uh, keep shopping with you. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening into this episode. As a new offering, I want to do a tip each week with our listeners, really around the episode and giving you some highlights of what we've spoke about through the Megan Hole Method takeaway of the week. In my coaching practice and while working with candidates in various recruiting projects, I talk a lot about being able to articulate your why when approaching anything in life. But today my tip is specifically for the interview process. Tuning into my conversation with Ashley Merrill around the process of navigating a successful job search and interview, being an insider who has helped thousands of people land in their dream careers, I'm gonna let you in on a little secret. If you cannot articulate your why in an interview, you will not get the job. How can you overcome this? Well, the best question you can prepare for to set yourself up for success is why do you wanna work for this company? That is the make or break question that can secure a position or knock you out of consideration. An easy way to prepare for this is to do your research on the company, get clear on what you love about them, take the time to read about who's interviewing you, search LinkedIn for articles, podcasts, webinars, you can tune into about the company or the person interviewing you prior to share compliments and feedback on what you love seeing so far, which will allow for you to show up genuinely interested in their brand and business and authentically sharing your enthusiasm for wanting to be a part of the company. I hope you found this tip helpful and stay tuned for more Megan Fool Method tips this season on Pivot with Purpose. Pivot with Purpose with host Megan Hull is a Fashion Consort production and part of the FC Podcast Network. It is produced and directed by Phil, a.k.a. Corinne. And a special thank you to Spencer Powell for our theme music. Learn more at pivotwithpurposepodcast.com and be sure to follow us on Instagram at pivotwithpurpose underscore podcast.